Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. First, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Arizona Industries for the Blind. AIB is an enterprise nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people who are blind to achieve their version of the American dream, whatever that is for them, by creating and sustaining dignified employment. You can learn more about AIB by visiting www.azifb.com. So, you know, over the last year and a half or so, uh, we really focus on how people who are blind can live a full, inclusive life. And recently, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about that and, and really living a full, inclusive life as a person who is blind is just that living life and living the life that, that you want, um, that I want as a, as a person who is blind. That's really kind of making, uh, creating new experiences, uh, making new connections, and for me, changing the perception of what blindness is. And in order to do that, we often need allies, people in the community, organizations, and individuals who are really focused on how to create that inclusion for all. Just before the, we kicked off the show, I was just uh, reminiscing with, with Karen and everybody about, you know, when I first started this uh, podcast about a year and a half, two years ago, my first guests were a group about talking about digital accessibility. And I remember sitting in this seat thinking, what the heck is it that I'm doing? I felt, you know, very uncomfortable and scared and all those things. And as that group began the conversation and all my other guests since then sitting in this chair has gotten to be, has become much easier over and over again. So uh, we all need allies in our lives and personal and professional that are there to help us in order for me to live my life uh, the way I want, um, whether it's planning a trip and booking a trip on a website or ordering tickets to a sporting event to go with with my family, I need to be able to access information. I need to, same thing at work. If I'm, uh, the applications that I use in my daily tasks are crucial to me to be successful in my, my job. And so I need to be able to use my assistive technology in order to do that. And those allies, and I've got two great allies here today that are focusing on accessibility and inclusion. So let's get the conversation started. First, I have Kai Wong from Teladoc Health. And Kai, would you like to just do a brief introduction of yourself, please? Yeah, thanks, David. Hey, everyone. This is Kai Wong tuning in live from Washington, D.C. I am a senior manager of digital accessibility at Teladoc Health. So I basically just make sure that everybody is building technology at Teladoc Health that is accessible to people with disabilities, specifically websites and mobile apps is my uh, area of expertise. Thanks uh, for having me on today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for so much for being here. And Phil, would you like to uh, introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thanks. 
My name is Phil Yatz, and I'm a strategic partnerships executive at Level Access. I've been in the digital accessibility space for almost about five years, starting uh, my experience working for the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind. Uh, so I really want to thank Phoenix Business Radio X and Arizona Industries for the Blind for giving me the opportunity to come and talk about digital accessibility, which is really one of my, my greatest passions. Uh, so I'm really excited for the conversation today. Yeah, Phil, uh, we connected about two years ago or so. Uh, we had some different conversations about uh, the work that you were doing there through the 508 compliance and, and remediation that the Chicago Lighthouse is doing. And we had a we have a mutual acquaintance that, that put us in contact with Tanner Gears, that accessibility officer who was a guest on this show. So it's kind of really fun to see how this network of people and the more we make these connections and bring people into uh, things that we're doing, we can grow and make a bigger impact. So again, thank you both for being here today. And, you know, our focus is on, as I talking about digital accessibility, I mentioned to me why it's important, but maybe Kai, Phil, why is digital accessibility important to you guys? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say for me, the reason why I feel very passionately about accessibility, it, it's always evolving, but originally I, you know, I, I come from a background of, well, I was bullied when I was younger. So I, I know how it feels to be excluded. And I have a relentless, like a very, uh, it, because of that experience is basically, I, I just have this like really strong passion for making sure that other people are not excluded in the way that I was. And especially in the online world, I, I found a lot of safety and community online. So it, it really hits home whenever I hear somebody is excluded from being able to have that community online. So it's kind of made me into a fierce fighter later on in life, but started out not so great. I also have ADHD and I identify as someone who is neuroatypical. So I'm also a part of the community and accessibility is something that is ever evolving and always learning. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that. How about you, Phil? Yeah, Kai, I just want to say I really appreciate that transparency. As someone who Grew up um, on the oldest of five siblings. Two of my younger siblings both uh, were born with disabilities. Um, so being part of their lives, being a great older brother, led me to being at a lot of Special Olympics competitions. Both of my siblings were very into sports. Um, and even in the early 90s, seeing how sports were made adaptable and accessible, regardless of if it's track and field, swimming, gymnastics, was great. So I always grew up very involved in the disability community and being able to lend a hand where needed that changed and grew when I got into my professional world. I started out as a business consultant, was moving around a couple of different places. And really I stumbled upon the Chicago Lighthouse. And the Chicago Lighthouse is great, um, along with a lot of other affiliated organizations, um, Arizona Industry for the Blind, but organizations that both do a lot of social service things, but create social enterprise businesses to create employment for people with disabilities. It was when I took a job um, working at the Chicago Lighthouse clock plant as a, a senior director of business development there, that I really started to see that, well, all this, all these sports I'd seen become adaptable, there were so many jobs out there that even in the early, you know, late 2000s weren't accessible to a lot of really smart professionals out there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see what I could do to really start to improve that and empower all these great professionals out there that deserve to have 
higher paying jobs and entry into more difficult careers um, that I really start to dive into the world of digital accessibility and see how important it was. And um, I really started that dive a little before COVID and then COVID really had the digital accessibility space blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit of personal, you know, background in my history, but then also working very closely hands-on with a lot of professionals with disabilities who who wanted so badly to grow their careers, but there were so many barriers in, in front of them that made me really start to be passionate about digital accessibility and, and want to kind of preach the good word of digital inclusion. Awesome. And thank you uh, for for sharing your story and your background. And it's interesting that when we have these experiences, you know, some positive and some negative in our lives that it, it kind of helps form us as we, as we grow personally and professionally and, and leads us into different directions. And, you know, I always have been saying to myself as a person who, um, you know, became blind later in life is that I probably wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now if it wasn't for the blindness and the things that I'm doing now are so much better than what I would have been doing. So it sometimes these experiences or situations push us or divert our path into a a new area that is better than where we were. And I heard someone say just yesterday during one of our brown bag lunch and learns at work about you are where you're meant to be. And, uh, I find that to be really true and hearing your stories, I, it sounds to be the same, right? Is, um, your experiences led you to creating opportunities for others to have that inclusion or accessibility or access to digital platforms. And, you know, when we think about that, is, is it, it's not just people with disabilities that benefit, right? I, I would imagine that. Uh, non-disabled or population benefits from accessibility as well. Would would you guys agree to that or disagree? Or hundred percent, hundred percent. I think it starts out as an accessibility topic or an accessibility improvement or an accessibility discussion. But then the more people that get involved in it, they're like, "Oh my gosh! Like I could also use this." Or "Oh my gosh! I didn't even realize that that feature was." meant for accessibility and they're like i've been using it so (laughs) i mean for example like captions people that that obviously started out as something else for accessibility reasons and now people are over here watching movies enjoying snacks (laughs) with the captions on yep in my house for sure (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah big snack house (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and i think i really nailed it on the head there um you know Creating better digital inclusion in, in the digital space helps everyone. It doesn't. There's no detriment to anyone to make sure that the user experience is inclusive and positive for any user that comes across, whether it's a website, mobile app, software platform. It really does help everybody. And that's also because the time it takes for the designers, developers, product managers to make sure it's inclusive. There's that thought and collaboration that goes on across teams to make sure, hey, you know, if we want to create alt text that is is correctly identifying what this picture is, or we want to make sure the flow of this page makes sense to someone that might uh, have cognitive disabilities. That doesn't that helps everybody. Um, you know, even if people who might not 
recognize they have a disability, but also disability is one of the demographics in which someone cannot belong to today and belong to tomorrow. Mm, so true. So it's not when you're creating these digital experiences, you have to only think about people that might currently be blind or someone who's always been blind and, and create it that way. It's thinking, well, someone who may, might be aging into disabilities, how does someone who has used the internet or a social media software for some time, if they get injured themselves or they age into a disability, how might they still want to be able to use this specific platform in a way they're used to? So, mm-hmm. you know, correct and great digital inclusion does impact everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And Phil, you were talking about some of the things you mentioned about usability. And I think sometimes there is there seems to be maybe a, a a conflict or between accessibility and usability. Do you think that there's a difference there or, you know, is that just my, my belief or what do you guys think about that? No, no, absolutely not. And I'll give my version first. I'm sure Kai, who's probably a little more technical and her than I am can also dive into this, but there certainly is a difference. And that's why in a lot of, um, when I'm talking to new partners at level access, or even in my time at the Shroud Lighthouse, when I'm talking to people who are new to accessibility or their organization is, Um, not very mature when it comes to digital accessibility. I really love to focus on the term digital inclusion as compared to digital accessibility because inclusion is both parts accessibility and usability. Accessibility, can someone access the site, the platform, the mobile app? Um, And accessibility, especially in the business sphere, is really thought of as as more checkboxes. It does your... Um, program meet the WCAG standards, Section 508, the ADA. It's a lot of checkbox against success criteria, which is great. And it sh- your things should be compliant and accessible against standards. But just because you are accessible and meeting those standards doesn't mean that you're providing a positive user experience or that usability side. Does someone who has a disability or is an assistive tech user want to come back to your site repeatedly to be a customer there or utilize those services? Having positive usability is what will bring those customers and users back, not just being accessible, because there really is a difference. You can have be meeting some of those accessibility standards, like alt text. You, know, you can have alt text, but your alt text <laughs> still could say, well, this is a picture, and it doesn't actually tell you what that picture is. Right. Uh, so there's clearly a difference, but I'm sure Kai also has some more to add to that. That's a really good point. No, I mean, the alt text, that's an awesome, awesome example, Phil. I like that. Yeah, I mean, accessibility and usability, there's there's definitely overlap, I would say. They do relate to one another. And I don't, I kind of, I go towards the idea of like usability and accessibility. You can't really have one without the other. Mm. There is differences, accessibility being more specific to focusing in on how are people with disabilities or people who are using assistive technologies navigate a website when we're talking about uh, like digital accessibility, at least. And then usability is just in general, is your website or your product usable? And is it like user-friendly? Is it easy to use? Is it, does it allow somebody to complete a a task? Can you add something into the cart easily? And you realize that it did get added in. An example, I guess, of accessibility versus usability. Definitely, Phil, you mentioned how there's the technical standards that relate to accessibility. Uh, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines is one that I work with a lot and I'm very focused on. And that for short is the WCAG for those listening, for short. 
So yeah, the WCAG or the WCAG, it is the technical standards for accessibility. And certainly you can be compliant with the WCAG or those technical standards for accessibility. But then if you go to do user testing with somebody who uses a screen reader on the daily, all of a sudden you might be finding out there's a lot of usability issues with your website or your product that you might be still WCAG compliant, you know, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, is it actually usable and is it easy to use by all of your users and not just some? Thank you, guys, because that's so important that we talk about that accessibility and inclusion. I'll give you an example. So I have a, an app to monitor and control my sprinkler timer. And the big selling point is that just that you can use your phone to you know, do the settings and so forth, because with a digital display on, on the front of the panel, it does me no good. And so I download the app and I go through and it's reading me what the fields are, but it has little arrows that you use up and down to adjust, you know, the date, time, et cetera, watering cycles and so forth and check boxes and using voiceover to try and act. I can't access those buttons. It just passes right over. It tells me where I'm at, but it, I'm not able to actually use it. So they did, and I'm assuming kind of an attempt maybe, um, or didn't have any thought maybe or forethought in the, the development process that would allow somebody with using voiceover or screen reader to be able to do that. So now, you know, I get to the app, I have to go get somebody to make the adjustments for me and, and really does me no good in in that capacity. It doesn't allow me to do what it is that I want to do. And, you know, I have sent emails and hopefully someday we'll get it changed. And I think that that's really kind of the message that I want to get from, from today, right? Is accessibility isn't just all of a sudden it's there on, on the screen. And Phil, you kind of mentioned it talking about developers or kind of part of your role in, in, digital accessibility at, at Teladoc, as you mentioned, you know, for people with disabilities to be able to access, whether it's um, your website or, you know, a mobile app and so forth. When, when does that conversation start? Who should be involved? And what, what are the processes you think that, that you guys would typically go through or suggest to people that are listening is, you know, here's when you really should start thinking about accessibility and inclusion. As soon as you have, I, 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 that's a great question. I, I, I want to just share with the world that as soon as you have an idea for anything, that's when you should start thinking about accessibility as early as possible and as often as possible. Everyone that I work with and I really, any, anyone that I meet, even in the grocery store, I'm always trying to spread the word. I'm like, hey, you know, what did you think about this from the accessibility, from the accessibility <laughs> perspective? I'm always bringing it up and I always encourage other people to bring it up too. I I think it's a great, you know, party topic. I think it's a great dinner table topic, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I just love it. You know, I think it's something that people, they don't realize it. And then all of a sudden, once you tell them, they're like, oh my gosh, I got to re, I got to redo all of my other projects I started. It changes everything. So yeah, as soon as possible. And in terms of, to your question, in the technical yeah, software development lifecycle, it starts with, I would say, user research, but starts with the product managers. And then it flows on to designers. Designers have to be thinking about 
accessibility, the color contrast, the use of the colors, even annotating or adding in accessibility, uh, like descriptions for those images for alt text. So that way, when they pass on their design to the de to the developers, they know what to do and they can implement it correctly. And then the QA testers or the quality engineers testing your feature or whatever you built can be tested for accessibility. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. I really nailed that there. Um, it's, you know, in the digital accessibility space, it's really um, what we call shift left. So it's the idea yeah. of shifting the idea of accessibility, usability more to the left of the SDLC, the software development lifecycle. So it's how even within design can organizations be thinking how users with disabilities uh, mm -hmm. might be utilizing kind of that end product and user research as I mentioned, super important. So there are all kinds of great programs out there, you know, Figma and plugins to make sure that, you know, you can annotate wireframes. And there makes a lot of sense for the business as well. Businesses that focus more on thinking about accessibility earlier typically have business benefits that come with that. They're more streamlined at building accessibility into their product. They're minimizing costs and mitigating potential legal risks that come with creating an inaccessible product. Mm -hmm. So the earlier you're thinking about it, the better for everyone. It's better for your users. It's better for the company as a whole. And not only just thinking about user disabilities, but if you can bring users with disabilities into that process as well, yeah. that's the real sweet spot. Mm -hmm. There we go. Actually having people with disabilities like as part of those design conversations early within the development process as well, that's just creating more benefits for everyone too. How would you find, and maybe this is the wrong way to ask, but so you're, you're saying bring people with disabilities to the table, have be part of the conversation, whether it's your own internal employees that have self-identified or part of the team already, but where, where would you go to find testers or that Get, get that input? Yeah, that's that's a great question, David. And and really, it's one of my favorite parts of being in the partnerships role here at Level Access. So really, the bulk of my job is finding organizations that are creating those digital environments. I partner with marketing agencies, development agencies, the ones creating that work, not end clients that's saying, hey, you know, you guys should be thinking about accessibility. So being able to partner with organizations who are doing that creation and development allows me to get into organizations to be thinking about that shift left idea more. Mm -hmm. But not only do I partner with organizations who are doing the creating, I partner with a lot of organizations in the nonprofit space who do have professionals with disabilities as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm really able to point a lot of our partners to organizations similar to Arizona Industries for the Blind or the Chicago Lighthouse who have mm -hmm. large staffs of people with disabilities who would love to be able to give their opinions on digital products that one day they might use. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity out there to reach out to local nonprofits, um, or organizations who do specialize. There are a lot of consulting companies out there too that most of their staffs are professionals with disabilities mm -hmm. that can be leaned on for some of that integral knowledge, um, especially when it comes to native assistive technology use. Yeah, yeah. No, Phil, that's awesome. I was over here like, you know, I'm cheering in my head. I'm standing up. I'm doing cartwheels over here in my head. <laughs> I just, I, I think it's so important to include people with disabilities in the user research and the conversations and I, it does, I, I do think it is a barrier for some people because they're like, you know, well, where do we find these people with disabilities? Mm -hmm. Luckily for all of us that people with disabilities, they're everywhere, you know, we're everywhere. Yep, yep. And it is just like, you know, once you get past that fear of, well, where, where do I find them at? I mean, you know, just like anything else, where do you find other people? <laughs> right, right. Just on that topic, because 
I have kind of seen it in my past is is so important to also make sure that the research you're getting of having people with disabilities give their opinion needs to be paid. Don't just take advantage of people and say, hey, it's really important. We want to make sure that we're creating this so that you can use it later. Would you give us Mm -hmm. a half hour, an hour of your time, um, you know, because we're doing this for you. But that experience, that lived experience is something that needs to be paid for because it is so important to your business to get that right and to have that knowledge imparted mm-hmm. to you that it does deserve to be paid for them. Their time is, is very valuable. Absolutely. Great Absolutely. Point. Yeah. Pay, fair pay is good and important. The other thing is if for those out there listening, if you are in an, in an accessibility role and your company has a user research team, I would encourage you if you haven't already to reach out to them and ask, can we start screening people and asking people for you know, we want to bring more people in with disabilities in our research. It's just like anything else. They're also screening for other things. They're they're finding people with particular, you know, identities or finding people in particular areas or anything like that. It's just another question in their screener. And if you have a good user research team, they'll be willing to do it. And actually, uh, you know, they should be also happy to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've always had pretty good experiences with that. Maybe I've gotten lucky to work with some really incredible user researchers, but don't be afraid to ask. And I think that's where a lot of companies and organizations may miss out. You know, I've had conversations with some very large organizations and their research team that want to engage in the disability community. And we have these conversations, we put together the survey, push it out. But that's just one of, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of organizations that are on a daily basis push, pushing out information or building tools and that impact everybody. And if they're not including people with disabilities, they're missing out on su- on such a huge, large segment of our population. And so having those conversations early, reaching out to nonprofits or, you know, there's comprehensive service providers like Arizona Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired that do vocational training and they can provide input and clients and, you know, those lived experiences into the technology or into the product that you're, you're using. We at, at uh, my organization at AIB, we partner with ASU and a lot of times there are students that are in the master's program uh, for engineering and design will come to us and say, we're looking at developing this product. What, you know, can we talk with your employees on this idea and, you know, would it benefit them and so forth? So I think having those conversations, getting input from people with little experience in terms of whether it's technology to those that are kind of masters and uh, high level users, and you're getting that broad perspective because there is no one one size fits all when it comes to uh, you know, whether it's assistive technology use and and people are just people, right? With that in mind, Kai, you mentioned the standard WCAG. I think is is what you. Yep. Yep. It, and so that is a standard, but there's also you know I've heard about these overlays. Uh oh. Uh oh. What what Uh-oh. are what are overlays? <laughs> and it doesn't sound like maybe they're they may be a useful tool, but not a beneficial tool. Help me out nope. here. It's good. It's making my hands sweat. 
Bill, you want to uh, go uh, first? <laughs> are, you, are, you rolling, are we rolling up the sleeves and uh, let's get ready to yeah. rumble? So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yes. So, obviously, overlays, plugins, um, they're very popular. Um, solution that's posed in the digital accessibility space. They're typically marketed as a very simple one-step solution. Um, and if anyone's listened to the conversation the three of us have been having so far, uh, we've really dove into how digital inclusion done well is not a, a simple process. Sometimes it's even complicated. It involves work from design through development and user research. So overlays typically want to simulate that experience by providing features that go on top of a website to create a more inclusive experience without actually making the back end of the website, the app, actually inclusive to all. So it causes a lot of issues, especially for people who utilize their own assistive technology, because a lot of the time their assistive technology doesn't always cooperate really well with an overlay. Now, can overlays be beneficial to subsets of people? Absolutely. Um, there are people with certain visual impairments or uh, neurodiversity things where some of the things the overlay does provide is helpful. But to think that an overlay can be the only solution is incorrect. Can an overlay or, or things an overlay can provide be part of a much larger strategy? If you're already working on design and development and making sure things are inclusive and then you add an overlay on top just for some of the special assistive technology stuff it can provide, then it can potentially work well. But most organizations don't do that. They think that the overlay is the only solution they need. And that's why they, they get a, typically a large amount of legal issues um, do stem from organizations that do have overlays. And the percent of organizations that only focus on overlays that got, get litigation has actually increased significantly over the last couple of years. Hmm. Yeah, Phil, I'm glad you took that one. Thank you. I, you said all the important things and, and good thing, because I can barely even think clearly when I hear overlay <laughs> come up. <laughs> I, you know, I think with anything like an overlay, basically it's like the widget, you know, it's a widget on top of the website. And like, as Phil said, it's kind of like that one, it's like a easy way to solve things that some companies think of it as, mm -hmm. but in reality, it actually will cause more issues. I would say just like anything, if somebody says, you know, I got this one, this one line of code that's going to fix all of your problems, or I got this, this easy button that's going to fix all your problems. Yeah. You know, we all should be a little bit like that sounds like that does sound sus, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all yeah. kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Is that really true? How could you really solve all the issues with just one button? Yeah, and I think part of the issue is still while digital accessibility has become more important, more prioritized by businesses, especially over the last three to four years, still a, a really large lack of awareness mm -hmm. on best practices in digital inclusion um, and how organizations should really attack it. But at the same time, while there are so many solutions in the space, whether it be overlays, platforms like level access, DQs out there, and everyone in between, not all organizations, especially newer startups or small mom and pop shop businesses, can afford finding great yeah. professionals with disabilities to come give that consulting and building them into design or development because they might only have three people on their entire staffs. So overlays do sometimes provide what they believe to be the correct action because they're not educated on accessibility, but they think they're doing the right thing. So, and that's really the issue, especially we in the industry are facing is Still 97% of the WebAIM report looks at the top million web 
websites in the world, um, their homepages, 97% are still inaccessible. And there's a lot of really, really large companies that have huge accessibility programs that are still on that list. And it's because, like I said, accessibility can be difficult. It is constantly evolving. So there's still things that organizations just like Level Access are trying to figure out how do we continue to try and push best practice to whether you're a huge enterprise organization with seven mobile apps, seven websites, and a software platform to the small mom and pop shop bakery that wants a website that's inclusive as well. And how can our solutions really touch everyone is, is difficult. And that's really where overlays have started to move into what people think is correct. So I, I, while it's, it's a bummer that there's still so much of the web that's inaccessible, it also shows like there's still such a, a promised land. There's such an opportunity space. And, and I think digital accessibility will continue to evolve very rapidly. Even like we could be having this conversation a year from now and there will be new technology, new organizations, mm-hmm. new ways that, you know, especially AI uh, is coming in to, to help support digital inclusion in different ways. Yeah, that's a really good point, Phil. You know, I, I really appreciate your empathy. And it is true that a lot of companies, they just, they don't know. And I think that there is some companies who have good intentions when they are getting the overlays and they just don't know. Maybe like, like you mentioned, small team, small budget. And even if we have empathy for the overlay companies as well, I think there's always going to be room for improvement, right? And as technologies are changing so fast, as AI is coming into the picture, you know, or it's always been in the picture for a while now, but as AI is getting integrated with everyday technologies, I, you know, maybe we will see overlays get a lot better in the near future, but will I be wearing an iHeart overlay t-shirt today? (laughs) Probably not. You know, I think I'm going to be picking my iHeart accessibility (laughs) t-shirt first. Right. And it's such a hard hard topic and and we talk about changes and growth and things like that how do we get to right we have a standard um that is agreed upon what does it take to make those changes though you know to get organization and, and even government at all levels when we're talking about accessibility how do we get there phil maybe you can kick that off in terms of insights as to making it either uh, enforcement, you mentioned some lawsuits, possibly, you know, litigation and and things like that. Is that really what you think it's going to take to start making the web more accessible Uh, or not just the web, but, you know, work applications and and everything Mm -hmm. else, mobile mobile applications? Is it going to take something like that to make a change? Yeah, I think... That is the challenge. Um, and there's a couple different angles. I think that that problem needs to be attacked. Um, because yes, there are the legal lawsuits have been continuing to increase. You have some states that take accessibility vastly differently than others um, because there is no federal standard. So first of all, it'd be really great if there was a federal standard around digital accessibility and inclusion would be very helpful. Uh, but you do have some states that are leading the way in terms of making sure that their state agencies, at least um, municipalities, government agencies that are under their kind of control, are are being forced to think about digital inclusion. It's great. New York, uh, the governor of New York, New York actually signed, I believe, December 22nd, um, a bill for New York agencies, municipalities <laughs> to make sure that their websites uh, were meeting the most updated WCAG standards. Awesome. 
great for New York, which also happened to be the state where the most lawsuits were filed federally <laughs> in a state level last year. I wonder if there's a correlation there. But if we really want businesses and organizations to think about accessibility and digital inclusion the way they should, it shouldn't be a reactive fear of lawsuits. Yes, does it help to have a standard and a consistent standard that everyone should aim at? Yes, that helps make best practices and strategies way more collaborative and have everyone look at the same North Star, totally. But there also needs to be more research around why digital inclusion is a positive, why organizations should proactively be thinking about, um, you know, not only making sure that their websites and apps are accessible, but as you mentioned, David, you know, their job applications. You know, Accenture in 2018 came out with a great report called Getting to Equal that shared all these business benefits that organizations were seeing when they were doing inclusive hiring and had mm -hmm. inclusive teams. So there's been a push by a lot of organizations to create, well, do organizations see more revenue from customers when they are focusing on digital inclusion correctly? Has their customer base grown? The problem there is that some of that research is really hard to get because you don't know the people that are going through your website. Do they have a disability or not? Mm -hmm. um, were they a screen reader user? Some of that research is harder to find, but you do have some organizations. Um, disability in collects a lot of organizations who are focusing on, on disability inclusion and accessibility. So being able to have a lot of these organizations leading the way, the way share more positives about from the business perspective about the ROI on being inclusive, hmm. but help more organizations say, hey, you know, yes, it's great. Well, we know we should be doing this from a societal perspective and the legal says we should be, but you'll get so much more motivation, excitement, collaboration, when organizations know that they want to do it for the right reasons and that proactively doing it will make a lot more sense. That's where we, where we will start to see sustainable change because the reactive approach to accessibility is why there's still 97% of homepages still inaccessible because they're reactively addressing it and then being passive about it, not proactive and thinking about a sustainable strategy. Kai, anything that you want to add to that? Because a lot of great information and insights there. I thought Philly did a, an amazing response there. I was really soaking it up. I, the only thing I would, I guess, uh, like lean into more about what you had mentioned, Phil is the lack of disability data. I think having more disability-related data is very helpful for a lot of reasons. And that will help to build business cases. It will help to track how can we best improve our user experience for people with disabilities specifically. It also will help like product managers go to the business and say, hey, you know, this is a large area of our business and we should get funding for it. We should focus on this and here's some ideas for it. And then aside from that, I think you already had mentioned it, just, you know, the policies and the laws. So advocacy goes a long way as well. And just continued education, awareness, and injecting accessibility everywhere that we all can. Yeah, I think that, Kai, I agree with you. I think the theme of my show, right, of changing our perception of blindness one conversation at a time and that advocacy and awareness portion and, you know, getting out this message today is hopefully we have business owners, uh, people thinking about their applications and their processes. And, you know, I've, through my public policy and, and outreach of tried multiple different uh, methods of trying to 
connect to people and things that are important. And I'll throw out the statistics of, you know, improved ROI and improved culture within your organization when you hire people with disabilities, increase in profit, the cost to society for people with disabilities that are receiving government benefits. And you throw all these huge millions of dollars that are numbers being thrown around. And it sometimes just seems like it falls on deaf ears. You try talking about the benefits from what work and value work provides to us as individuals, just as human beings, from a social aspect, from a professional and emotional aspect, but also bring in the disability brings in a whole nother perspective. And you know, these messages are so important and it's important for people to think about these things on a daily basis because as Phil, you mentioned today, you might not be part of this community and tomorrow you may. And um, it's important to have that empathy, have that forethought is to, we need to make sure that we're doing the right thing, doing the things that will benefit everybody, not just a portion of our, our population or segment of our customers. Totally. And I think you, you raise an interesting point there, David. It's, you know, you've been having these conversations with a ton of organizations. I've been having, you know, being more on the sales partnership side of digital accessibility for five years. I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of organizations and, and business leaders across a dozen countries, um, all thinking about digital inclusion differently and, and working to spread that awareness and trying to be on the proactive side of that and talking about, you know, the, the $8 trillion and spend the disability community and their close family have. And organizations, you start to see that that light go on in their head a little bit. Just in the conversations I've been having in the last six months, I know that the awareness is grown. The problem is the awareness gets to a certain spot where then action has to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's that action step that a lot of organizations stumble on because they're not quite sure how to start, when to start, what type of initial investment they need to put in it. And that confusion, that intimidation on next steps creates a lot of pause, creates a lot of fear, and it makes organizations, well, we're not used to doing this, so we want to start really slow and do a, a couple minor things and see if that creates the improvement you're talking about. Well, that's not how business works, and that's not how full-scale strategies work. You'll get to do a little piece of the, the software development life cycle and say, okay, this is going to make the whole thing better, right? Um, so it's 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 the conversation is somewhat shifted and it's great. It's great for the accessibility industry that the conversation is shifting more from awareness to action mm-hmm. and how organizations should really start to do that. But still, that's, it's still really slow right now. Um, so hope, my hope is that, you know, we're going to break down that next wall and organizations will really start diving into digital inclusion as compared to just dipping their toe. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. And if, if, we, we've been talking about, you know, when to start thinking about it. And, and Kai, as you said it, you know, minute the, the conception of the idea. But if you've already out live and, and up and running kind of thing, how do, you, how do you know if your site is accessible? I guess that would be my question is, is how do you know if you're in compliance or, or not? And what do you do about it? 
That could be a whole show in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know we're running it up on time and and so forth, but um, good question though. Yeah. Should I dip the toe in that pond? <laughs> let, let's roll with <laughs> it. We'll, words. Let, let's roll with it and see where we go. Oh yeah. All right. I'm ready to roll. I I mean, yeah. If you if you have a uh oh moment where you're listening to this podcast and you're you know you're on your way to work and you're like, oh no. I didn't think about this and now I am there. Is, it's okay. Right. Like everybody deserves a second chance <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it you can still remediate. You do have to figure out where you stand with it though, or where you're like, what's your current state and the way to do that in very simple few fewest words would be automated and manual testing and user testing if you can. But at least you got to do some testing. I mean, you got to use a screen reader. You got to use keyboard only to navigate. You know, can you get to the interactive elements hitting the tab key on your website? Just turn on the screen reader on your phone and do some swiping throughout your app here. Listen to what the announcements are and, you know, maybe do a little bit of searching online for, you know, a checklist of things to look for and test for. Bill, what else you got for to add to that? Add some sprinkles <laughs> to that ice cream. Yeah, like that was a, a great start. Um, because there's there's so many different ways organizations can go, you know, especially when we're talking about maybe you've already put in some upfront work to make sure you're inclusive and accessible. But as we mentioned, digital accessibility is constantly evolving. Anytime you're adding new content to your website or an operating system, browser gets updated or system tech gets updated, accessibility can get thrown out of whack a little. And yeah. we all know technology is advancing at a crazy rate right now. So that's why it's it's really hard. And even top organization, digital accessibility organizations in the space will almost never guarantee you are 100% compliant at any given time. Because as of tomorrow, there could be things outside of both organizations control that throw you out of compliance. Hmm. So, yeah. you know, as Kai mentioned, continuous testing is great. Um, even for smaller organizations, just learning a couple best practices when it comes to keyboard use or screen reader use. NVDA is a, a free screen reader you can put on your computer. There's free ways that you can do quick little tests, maybe weekly, bi-weekly, to make sure digital inclusion is still there. Other opportunities, if you're a larger organization or have a couple different websites or, or more intense features on your websites, there are a lot of organizations out there you can partner with. There are digital accessibility platforms in which that you can set up monitoring and have continuous monitoring done, whether it's via automated testing or, you know, more of a manual framework or a combination of both to make sure that you are continuously improving. And that's really that part of sustainable digital accessibility, Uh, making sure that, you know, you're building in as an organization, those processes to continually be monitoring and checking so that the the investment you are putting into inclusion now isn't wasted in six months because you haven't checked in on anything. And everything you fixed and remediated in the first place is now back to mm-hmm. ground zero mm-hmm. uh, and you're like well that's that's where my organization some organizations have a bad taste in their mouth for digital accessibility like mm. i spend the same amount every year for an audit and we're always fixing the same problems we're not going anywhere well because you need to have continuous monitoring you also need to have continuous education and training for your teams that are doing that work if you don't have an internal team doing that work you want to make sure that you are partnering with a web development or design agency or an accessibility management agency who can do that continuous education training for you and be able to handle that. So there's a lot of different ways organizations can go about um, developing partnerships or or creating those internal capabilities as well. Awesome. That's good, Phil. That's good. If I could just share one thing that you mentioned, Phil, 
you had said the bad taste in your mouth. And one of the funny <laughs> analogies that I think of with accessibility is it's kind of like going to the dentist, right? Like keeping up your website or your mobile app with being, you know, testing for accessibility. It, it's a continuous thing. You have to do, or as a developer, you should be doing the small maintenance things. You should be testing, like brushing your teeth every day. We're brushing our teeth every day. We're flossing, you know, every day. Mm -hmm. And that way, when you go to the dentist, you know, that AK in different words, it, when you go for that full external audit or you go for the full comprehensive WCAG audit that you're not getting in the comparison, like root canals, maybe you get a small mm -hmm. cavity, you know, they can fix it, they patch it up mm -hmm. and then it's fixed very quickly, but you're not getting a painful root canal. You're not causing further damage and it's a smaller impact. So I think like accessibility is kind of like, analogy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I'm so glad that you guys were uh, here to have this conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm a user. I can barely spell IT and figure out how to turn my computer <laughs> on. But I have learned a lot from, from you guys. And, and I really appreciate your knowledge, your experience, and the things that you're doing in your organizations and in your communities to ensure full inclusion. We're just about to wrap up here. Would you like to share with our, our listeners uh, if they want to further the discussion with you, how can people uh, contact you? I'm on LinkedIn. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Kai Wong on LinkedIn. That's K-A-I-W-O-N-G. Awesome. Yes. Similarly, uh, best way to typically reach me is LinkedIn as well. Um, my name is Phil, P-H-I-L, Yatvin, Y-A-T-V-I-N. Um, always around to talk about digital accessibility, digital inclusion, uh, my experience within the space. Of course, you know, for level access, we have a ton of different opportunities uh, to partner with organizations, both from the partnership side, of which I work and would love to talk to agencies, uh, but also customer side as well, being able to help organizations all the way from the design shift left experience um, all the way through uh, development, agile methodologies, uh, and then monitoring and consulting everything. Great. Thank you, Phil. And I hope that today's show spurs some thoughts and some change, most importantly, is taking that action. I'd like to thank, again, Arizona Industries for the Blind for being our sponsor. And you can learn more about them at www.azifb.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and reach out if you have questions or if you want to sponsor or be a guest on the show. I'd love to have those conversations. And it's really important to, to recognize that you know, digital accessibility is really part of you know, everybody's life. And I believe that today's show re really reemphasizes the fact that with the, the right training, the right technology, and the right attitude, people who are blind can compete and are successful in life and in the workplace. So thank you guys and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 9 a.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.